Steve Malkinus and the Jicks. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraph Studio. My guest on this edition of Fangraph Studio, which uh, in fact appears to be a Fantasy Friday edition of the show, uh, my guest is Eno Saris, who is a, a real-life baseball writer, but in addition to that, or I guess as part of that, uh, is editor of Rotographs, the fantasy site at Fangraphs. Last week, uh, Eno and I, along with 10 uh, other writers at Fangraphs, participated in the third annual Autonew Draft, or Autonew Auction, for the Staff 1 Fantasy League. Uh, Staff 1, that is, uh, there are three of them now. This is the uh, this is number one. This is the first one. Uh, this was our third annual auction, and it was also the uh, the third auction we've held together uh, with the bulk of us together. And, and uh, that is, in fact, what forms the bulk of of the substance which is to follow. We sort of use that auction uh, as an entry point, uh, I guess, for multiple conversations. There's some talk about specific players. There's auction strategy uh, in itself. There's also some behavioral psychology of the armchair variety, uh, if not of the actual real variety. And there's uh, there's some surprisingly thoughtful commentary uh, by Eno Saris. Uh, Will shock you. It certainly shocked me. So, as I mentioned, yes, uh, this is a... uh, fantasy podcast with Rotographs editor Eno Saris on Fangraphs Audio, and it begins right now. Sorry, that we could discuss our live draft that we had together. <laughs> Apparently you're mad at me about No, I'm not mad at you. I mean, we, have di- we have different styles. I'm, I'm a brow. I'm a brow furrower. I furrow my brow, you know. <laughs> and I reach for the beer. Yeah, but what is the term? You know, you know. Yeah, I might have actually uh, accomplished a first in in that arena um, when I was at uh, uh, labor, my AL labor draft, uh, which is a live, live in-person auction draft, um, one of the oldest leagues. Uh, out there, um, I actually cracked a beer uh, about maybe two thirds of the way through, and uh, checked in on Twitter and told everybody what I was doing. So, either it was the first beer cracked at Labor, according to Steve Gardner, or it was at least the first public beer cracked, or the first beer cracked publicly. Yeah. Well, I want to get so I want to get terminology straight because I think it'll be of some benefit to to this conversation. Is so there are. So there's the word live draft, right? But this just means – or live auction. But this just means that it's happening currently and it's not – like you're not setting a queue for it or something. Right. I guess the alternative would be a slow draft, um, like an email draft where uh, you know you have four hours or eight hours or 12 hours or whatever. Right. What, what do you call it, a slow or a flow? Slow. Slow. I would call it a slow draft. With an S. With an S like in Sam. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. And then, so what is the thing we did then? Because we were not only, it was not only live, but we could see, uh, th- th- this I should say is the auto new drafts for the uh, Staff One League for Fangraphs, uh, our third year, our third year. And we, um, in, in all three cases, we have held the draft during our uh, staff trip to Phoenix, Arizona. And that's what right. we did. That's and what we did this time. And nine of us out of the twelve uh, were what I would call in person. I don't know. It's it's sort of it's a little bit rarer 
in fantasy just because it's, you know, a digital phenomenon for the most part. So I, I guess I would call it in-person. So we were, we were all looking at each other. Yes, we were, unfortunately, yeah. Uh, I mean, there's not a lot to see, really, amongst our crowd. <laughs> um, aesthetically speaking, but um, yes, yeah, so it was in person, and I, so here's a here's a first question, because I'd like to use that draft, um, you know, as sort of a, an, an entry point for this conversation. I think there's a lot going on there. Uh, you know, we can get to some specific players later on, maybe, but I guess I'm curious uh, about some of the things that are going on in terms of strategy, or maybe even like. You know, behavioral psychology. How you know how everything like that works. Well, um, so I guess first thing is uh, for you. You're you're in what 14 leagues or something like this now. I cut it down to 12 this year. Okay, so it's still I still a substantial number for you. What are your uh, in, what is the distribution for you in terms of um, live drafts, slow drafts, and then live in person drafts. Um, I, there's only a couple of slow drafts, um, my score sheets league with King Kaufman is a slow draft, you set the queue, uh, you have a little bit of a window where you could actually, you know, change up your, your, you're actually on the clock, uh, but it's a bit of a queue, you know, slow draft, um, and then I have another one which is basically a dynasty, but the last, we do a, a, a three round minor league draft and a, a three round restocking draft, and those those rounds are um, actually done on the Yahoo board, uh, but do we have like eight-hour windows? Um, and I'm in, uh, yeah. So about three of them are slow drafts. The rest are uh, live, and only one of them is in person. Other than this one, that was labor. Okay. Now, with the, with the live in-person draft, do do you sense? Um, I mean, the, it obviously changes things uh, when you see the people against whom. You're competing, you know, who are competing in the auction with you. Uh, I mean, you know, and, and I, I have not studied this, and I'm, I'm not aware of much of the studies concerning it, but I assume that there's a difference, for example, in live or in-person poker versus online poker, for example. I assume that there's something going. I don't know precisely what it is. I know that I certainly have preferred to do um, in-person drafts. I think they're fun, I th- and I think if we say – you know, unless quite a bit of money is at stake, that the priority is to enjoy oneself, right? That's why you do it. Um, I think that in-person drafts or auctions are more fun. Uh, I'm curious as to your just general impressions. We'll begin with general impressions of the in-person draft versus the alternative. Uh, they're amazing. They're, uh, I mean, auction is amazing to me. I love auction um, just because you, your valuation of the player is, is on the line. So you think he's worth X amount of dollars, and that's, that's all that matters. And the snake draft, you might like a guy, but, you know, you're in the middle of the round, and, you know, he's not available to you just by three or four picks or whatever. But auction, everyone's available. You buy who you like. Um, in person, adds just a sort of... Um, Pace and, and you kind of you can you you can look at people and try to read them. Um, I would say that you, there's actually not a great deal of information to be gleaned, and there was a bunch of different. At labor, it was very interesting. There's a bunch of different styles. Most people were sort of reserved and checking their um, checking their values and just sort of 
you know, almost like a, you know, they were doing a, a, an online draft, but they were they were in the room uh, because we all had our computers up and stuff. But there were um, Harry Van Hook is a is an old school fantasy player, and he's been around for a bit, and he uh, he was a grump. That was kind of fun, um, and uh, he uh, he made he, he you know he said things about six like oh you know that's ridiculous or whatever. <laughs> And uh, I, I enjoyed that. I was sitting next to Ray Flowers, who I've known for a while, and we actually might have engaged in what you might call table talk, um, which, uh, you know, somebody might not have enjoyed, but uh, I don't think it's, you know, explicitly against the rules. So we would sometimes say, oh, I had that guy at X, or, you know, nice pick, you know, I had that guy at X. We would say that to each other. So, so. Some, so, so something uh, resembling social interaction? Yeah, 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 and I did a lot. I did probably more than that on, on that than than most. Um, just you know, it's my style, like you said. And uh, um, <clears throat> I did what I did try to do is because I didn't want to just give everybody uh, too much information in terms of my countenance or you know who I was in on or you know how enthusiastically I was bidding. But you can kind of let people know, you know, uh, you can kind of you know let people know too much or, or manipulate what people know about how enthusiastic you are about a player. And you can do this online. And if you think about an auction and there's a 10 seconds, right, if you sort of come in near the end and bid, like right at the end, I think you're kind of saying, I wasn't sure about it, but I'm going to bid on this guy. That, that's sort of what you might be suggesting. Whether or not it's actually true, that's what you might be suggesting. And if you if you uh, just sort of like rapidly attack the bid button against somebody where you're like pop, 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 and it's like 11, 10, you know, 10, 11, 12, 30, 40, you know, it's going quickly, you might be suggesting that um, you're in on that guy no matter what it takes, you know? Do, do you think that um, if you were to play it with a view towards, I guess, obscuring your intentions, that you would um, bid at the same time on the clock regardless of um, of your feelings about a player or the price at which he's currently going? Um, <clears throat> I don't know. What I my approach was more to manipulate um, my countenance a couple times. So I guess what you would call the bluff. So um, I had Lance Berkman at like nineteen or twenty dollars. Once he hit seven um, in the draft, I. I made it seem that I was very reluctant at labor. <clears throat> so I just, I said, oh, God, eight, you know. Oh, no, all right, ten. And um, I don't know that it, you know, if it accomplished anything, but I got him for uh, 13, and, you know, I was willing to go at least a couple more bucks. <clears throat> so hopefully I did actually accomplish the fact, the sort of negging of my own player where I was like, yeah, I don't really want this guy. Why would you want this guy? I barely want this guy. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, no, I see that. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> now it's funny to hear that because uh, perhaps you did that for labor. I would say that your countenance, as uh, you've called it, was um, less reserved um, at uh, during our our live draft at the Phoenix uh, Hilton Airport Hotel. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I was I was having a little more fun. Uh, I know you guys a little better, um, so maybe I didn't. But I, I would say that <clears throat> I was very excited about two of my picks, and I'm not sure that 
that that was obvious while I was drafting them. So what are those? What were those? <clears throat> well, the first one um, was a $23 Hamley, which now just pisses me off. But uh, at the time, he was not hurt, and I was very excited about that one. <clears throat> because I think that yeah, in middle, in middle infield, it, it doesn't take much to be worth $20, and Hanley still has upside beyond that, so... I was happy about that one. And we, sh- we should note, sorry, uh, this is the, again, the, this is the Staff One League for Auto New, and we play by the linear weight style points. Which, and I guess, uh, um, I don't know how many bases he's stealing these days, but I assume that Hanley Ramirez um, provided, he, you know, he, he produces something similar to his, you know, steamer zips projection is is valuable by whichever format. Right. And, and yeah, some of his value comes from stolen bases, which is not great in linear weights, but. You know, he still walks some. He has more power than your average shortstop. So, um, you know, I just, I think all around. And, you know, you do get a little bit of value from the stone bases. So, um, I like them, and I was pretty excited about that one. The other one I thought was very interesting because I, I started out what you might call price enforcing. Yes, um, yes. Price enforcing is a word that I, that, uh, I plan on invoking during this conversation. So that was Albert Pujols. Okay. And uh, I had Albert Pujols uh, way over $40. Um, sort of, you know, I guess like 45 46 is way over whatever. I had, I had him around $45. And the bid started slowing down. The bid started slowing down on Pujols in the 20s. Um, and I had, I had Freeman and Alan Craig. And uh, I didn't really feel like I needed another first baseman, and I'd rather have spent that money on a middle infielder or an outfielder. But, you know, I was like, there's no way I'm going to let this guy go for 28. So the price enforcing means I think this is way too much of a value, and so I'm going to stay in this bidding. My intention is not necessarily to win the player, but um, as Chris List put it, uh, I have some... Uh, responsibility to making your team worse uh, as well as my team better. So I need to make sure that even if you want pools, you get them at the market price or the price I deem is the market price rather than um, get them at a value. Now, you do have to be so, careful, obviously, in those situations because, uh, you know, you, you okay. ha- I guess you, depending on where you go, you have to be willing to sign that player. And I won Albert Pujols. <laughs> you did. But... Uh, I, but, you know, I, I, I was hoping to appear as if I was price enforcing, but I realized that on my roster I did have space for him and he would fit for me. Um, and so once I got him for 34, I think. 31, um, in fact. Just, just 31. 31. I was really excited about that one. So, yeah. um, you know, I think I was more vocal about things that upset me just because you know, I'm also communicating that I might be interested in a trade, um, and there's less on the line. I mean, I was very vocal about uh, Carter Caps, you know, because I ordered some onion rings. Yes, that's right. Option. Yes, right. Well, yeah, it should be to say that you ordered onion rings when uh, when uh, when Carter Caps was nominated, or those two things happened yeah. mostly contemporaneously, and uh, you missed out on Carter Caps, Seattle relief pitcher, uh, right, because you were busy. Ordering, or maybe it was receiving said onion rings. And eating. But, you know, I, you know, it's okay. It's just a reliever. Um, I got J.J. Hoover, who I love. And, um, 
you know, I just, uh, I, you know, maybe I get Carter Caps later, or maybe I just, maybe it's sort of like saying nice pick, you know, to whoever got them. Um, and uh, it didn't seem like my season would hinge on getting Carter Caps or not. So, um, now, this but, is a th- uh, it was cool. So I was very excited, and I don't know if necessarily that came across. Right. Now, there is, uh, it should say, with regard to the Carter Caps thing, this is um, one of the qualities, I suppose, because like you you mentioned, and this sounds like different probably than your labor league. And and correct me if I'm wrong, but apart from, I'm sure, the fact that you're excited to participate in the labor league because it and I guess it and Tout are sort of the two old old guard leagues. Is that that fair to say? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, that labor is maybe for you, uh, you regard it as a, uh, an extension of your professional life at some level, whereas perhaps that might be the case for the, the, the Fangraphs staff league, but you also regard that maybe as more of a, of, of a social experience as well. Yeah. 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 I was, I was, uh, I was a little more nervous with labor. I mean, those guys have been around. The league has been around since '89. It was started by Keith Olbermann. You know, it was my first in-person draft. Um, I was uh, probably the youngest guy at the table. Yeah, I was probably. I don't know exactly how old like uh, Bradley Funston or uh, Tristan Cockroft are, but uh, I was one of the youngest guys at the table. And um, you know, there's a guy in there, Greg Ambrosius, uh, who has been playing since labor was started. 1989, and he he's gotten a couple seconds of dirt and stuff, but he's never won. So, uh, sitting down at that table was like, this is these these are people very serious, and also one of the things I've never seen before uh, in a draft. My every player went within a dollar to my value. I mean, it was it was pretty amazing, and it, and I was like, oh my gosh, we're all sharks here, and we're shaving. We're shaving pennies off the dollar here, and mm-hmm. you know whether or not we win will come down to pretty much just the players we got. It's not going to be a lot of like who I outsharked you on value, and I got all these values. I mean, there was a, there was it's really about a little bit of strategy where where you're going to have your weaknesses and you know what you're going to use in the reserve. It's very uh, complicated bench uh, rules that I so I don't think that I can win my first year based on some of the just an unfamiliarity with the with the process, but um, I do think I put together a good team. I was very sort of more serious about it, but I still had fun. I mean, like I said, I cracked a beer, so um, I enjoy my job, and, and I continue. I want to continue enjoying my job. Um, uh, let's return to the idea of price enforcement. That was a uh, that was a phrase you were um, declaring loudly and often uh, during our draft or our auction. Uh, it also netted you. Um, I believe it also netted you Justin Smoke. Is that fair to say? <laughs> you know what? I think that's um, one of the pitfalls of my process or, 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 or uh, approach is that uh, it's a little emotional sometimes. And I think I got goaded into Justin Smoke. <laughs> I mean, I know that there's people, there are smart people that like him. I, on some level, I think he's also like Justin Smoke. I don't know if he still does, but... Uh, uh, he did, he liked him longer than a lot of people. Um, so it can't be 100% stupid, but it felt pretty stupid. <laughs> I mean, Justin Smoke go, goes up for a dollar, and Chris Wick is yelling, oh, you know Zach Sanders will go for more than a dollar. You know he will. He's on Justin Smoke. 
I got excited, so I went to two dollars. And Zach Sanders does get real angry on the board and 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 start talking crap about it, but does not go to three dollars. Yes, right. Well, and that's and that's an interesting thing, right? This I think this is part of the experience of of the live auction as opposed to an online yeah. one, is or an in person one, it, um, auction versus a live one is that. You do have that back and forth, and even you know, even though Sanders, we should say Zach Sanders, who writes for Rotographs, um, lives in Seattle, is a Seattle Mariners fan. Um, knowing that about him, and then having Swick kind of yelling in your ear, right? There, it is more likely to appeal to you if you if you do have an emotional uh, tend, if you do have emotional tendencies. Um, it, it should also be noted. That and I guess this goes along with with knowing your opponents, right? Like you know, you're you have 11 people, and in some cases, you know, if you're doing a, a random online draft or auction, you you may not know any of the people. In this case, I think we, if we haven't all met each other, we do definitely have a sense of uh, the others, uh, you know, some sense of the others' biases. Um, in this case, it's in this case, this is a curious thing to me. Is Zach Sanders, um, at least so far as I know, a perfectly able, uh, competent uh, fantasy writer. Uh, I assume he's had success in, uh, in a number of fantasy leagues. He's been writing for Rotographs for some time. Um, certainly does great work. I love his uh, – he does the uh, the fantasy values above replacement. Those things are – those are very helpful with dollar, dollars uh, attached to those. Um, he does – it needs to be said, though, he does nominate certainly – uh, and then also, it appears he rosters quite a few Mariners, and I'm curious. I'm curious as to how you feel about that, or, or, or I mean, just like if you come across people like that, et cetera. Well, I mean, I think I got accused of that a lot with uh, Lucas Duda last year, um, and it's totally possible that we we watch who we watch. We 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 sort of get it. We, you know, not necessarily that we are rooting for them, or you can get biased towards the player without really sort of realizing it. Um, I still think Lucas Duda might have, um, you know, 200 ISO and, and a good walk rate and be a decent sort of sixth outfielder in Ottawa or a deep league outfielder. Um, and I, you know, I did consider getting in on him. The problem for me uh, in this league is, is for Duda is just at some point you have uh, – I, I, roster spots are more at a premium than dollars for me. So yes, I would you know pay a dollar or two for Lucas Duda, but uh, who do I cut for my team? So um, right. that's that's why I wasn't in on Duda. But just to answer your question, I think that we do we do sort of watch players more and, and think that I think it's more that we think that we know something, right? You know, you watch the Mariners a ton, and then you think you know who the sleepers are on that team better than other people. And, you know, maybe if you watch another team just as much, you would find another player on that other team that you thought was a great sleeper. So. Right. I mean, that, that's why I think – do you think it's, it's an advantage if you don't necessarily have a rooting interest in a particular team or watch a particular team more than another? Because you're not – you're essentially not forcing yourself biased one one direction or the other because you might think just the opposite. You know, you might say, uh, oh, this player is terrible. I see him all the time. Um, when in fact, you know, maybe uh, maybe you're biased against him for that reason. Right, but here's the thing, you know, it, it comes down to uh, the difficulties of being a national writer versus being a beat writer. There's also value to be gained by knowing uh, a team, especially in deep leagues. There's value to be gained by knowing a team well. So, you know, the two might balance each other out. I mean, uh, for every 
problem that Lucas Duda caused for me. Um, I, there were tons of R.A. Dickies on the team. Um, you know, I might, you know, might have owned Bobby Parnell earlier than some people um, this year. So there are things we gain from knowing each team, and it's very difficult to know 30 teams as well as you know you can know one. Right. Yeah. Um, so there, there's a lot of balancing forces there, and I think the thing for me, the Lucas Duda thing was to just not. I think this year I'm going to have try and have a little bit more variety across my league, and just not fall in love with any player and stick a little bit closer to my values and and, and just really try to be a little bit more, uh, you know, open eyes and uh, a little bit cooler heart. Um, so. You know, I love I love Andrew from Simmons this year um, as a sort of cheaper pick, but he's starting to get more and more expensive, and we don't know how many bases he'll steal because, you know, true talent, he might only be 10, 15 stolen bases a year guy, but um, now he's at the top of the lineup, and we just don't have that much information about him. So I think he could be great, but I'm not going to go to double digits on Anderson Simmons um, until I see more. Uh, one thing that that I know has certainly happened in our first two auctions with Autonew uh, for, uh, for the staff league and uh, I think was present uh, in this most recent one but not as much so is a great deal of enthusiasm uh, at the beginning of the auction and I think um, and I think that if you were to graph it uh, I haven't uh, but I think if you were you would see that relative to the values that people might have had um, there was more Overspending at the beginning of the draft or auction than there was at the end. There, there are always deals I think to be had at the end. Uh, I guess first, is that something you've observed, uh, uh, perhaps in 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 our league or in other leagues? I would actually say that that is a typical auction thing, and it, it happens more in um, in other auctions because in our other league, um, so much. So many of the potential values and so uh, so much of the player universe is already owned. Um, so in some ways, it actually pays to go hard and early because, you know, how many middle infielders were there that you really wanted to own in that draft? There was probably about four or five. So if you try to wait too long then you, and then you don't like the price on the fourth or fifth one, then you're sort of stuck. So um, I think that... In our leagues, sometimes it makes sense. Also, uh, the way that we work in terms of that we keep players at a dollar dollar value, um, that makes it so that uh, there's inflation and, and there's it's, it's hard to tell exactly how much money is out there and how many players are out there and how much the players work. So it makes sense to kind of inflate, and if you like a guy, pay, you know. But in a regular league, I would say that there's a very uh, distinct graph, and I, maybe I'll, I'll draw that from our graph, but it's very distinct. And it, the, uh, the bottom, you know, the negative part of the uh, y-axis is, would probably be labeled regret. Um, and uh, the, uh, the, the top is probably optimism, and you're way high into the optimism, and then there, there comes this plummeting moment when, you know, the, the dollar and $2 and $5 uh, players are out there and you're like, holy crap, this $5 player is worth as much as my $20 player, and you plunge into regret. Yes, yes, there is. (laughs) Regret is is a thing that's prevalent uh, uh, as as the uh, auction goes along. I know um, 
Well, it's, so, it, um, so you make the point, though, that especially after uh, the way Otterney was constructed, the, the um, available player pool after year one is considerably lower than when you start, because obviously when you start, you're choosing from every um, every player that that there is. Uh, but, you know, as you go into year two, year three, et cetera, uh, the, the teams are more uh, more well-constructed or more substantially constructed. And then in addition to that, people are are generally retaining their values. And so the players that they're putting back into the pool, um, when, when you're bidding on them, you can generally – you can generally overspend a little bit because the players that you've retained are are their value picks or at least market, uh, you know, they're at market value. So you don't have um, you don't have any inflated prices on your team. So you can overspend a little bit. But like I know you, you're always so you're always looking for a need, right? So you have when you're going in, you have needs. I mean, you, you can try and create some flexibility if you have players who qualify in multiple positions. That works. Um, but you know, I went in and I knew that I needed to have. Uh, what, one or two outfielders and a utility uh, utility player, and I had uh, I had a bunch of money, and I and that was that um, was my most glaring need. I had a number of starting pitcher slots open, but I had already planned because there was not a lot of elite talent, so far as that was concerned, um, that I would just go cheap and and get volume in terms of starting pitchers, which I which I did. We could talk about that maybe, but um, uh, you know, Josh Hamilton and Adrian Gonzalez. Um, you know, we're probably two of the three best outfielders, uh, including Jacoby Ellsbury, who are available. So I kind of went in thinking that uh, I would be getting them regardless. And so, as you know, like at, at this point, when you're coming back, like it may not it may not uh, matter whether it's the beginning or the end of the auction. You know that you need to get uh, two out of three of a certain player. And I guess this is a case where where tiering is important, right? And that can help you sort of. Check your op, your your level of optimism, um, or your the sort of enthusiasm you have when you're bidding on a certain player. As you say, here's here's a group of players I'll uh, I'll bid on, and uh, I'll take the two cheapest ones I can get. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. In our league, I ended up with too much money, and uh, I should have been in on um, some more expensive pitchers. So I did I did have sort of tiering setup and a tiering philosophy, and I had, because uh, I wanted two middle infielders, and so I wanted an expensive one and a cheap one, and, um, you know, I ended up, you know, with Justin Smoke instead of one of those middle infielders. But anyway, um, I, uh, I I do I do like tiering a lot. It, it, it's, it's really, really useful in snake drafts where you're kind of, um, if, there's a, if there's a run on a position, if you know what the tier is, you know whether or not I need to join this run and get someone in this tier before the tier is done, or um, I need to I, – I, they just emptied out a tier and I just need to wait on the next one. Um, so I think that's – but it, it can be very useful in, money, in auction leagues too, because every auction league, no matter what your values are going into it, um, every auction itself uh, is, a, is its own universe. So, you, can, you know, the best way to plant the mice is that you can have – your auction value, then you should, and you should have peers and stuff. But then once the auction is going, you should um, have a good idea of how many players are left at each position and how it fits in your plans and what the ceiling on that auction is. Uh, because, you, you know, all of our auction values, you know, end around 42, 43, but then if you're sitting in an auction and things are going at 50, then you need to know that 
if you go to Portia on the player, it's probably going to be like a you know a top ten, top fifteen player, not a top five player. Um, one thing that I think, uh, I mean, besides all of the grievances, I uh, um, I have with you. I mean, there are number, <laughs> there are many of them. Um, there, there is. A, I do. Uh, one thing I respect about your work, you know, is that I think that in your fantasy work, and, and um, we've explored this a little bit on the uh, on the podcast as well, is uh, you're particularly good at, at mining. I think your biases um, and your missteps um, uh, from previous auctions or your you know experiences with leagues, etc. As uh, I think you're good at looking at that stuff as fodder um, for the work you do, um, and I think we've we've addressed some of that here, like you know the good the good and the bad of price enforcement. Maybe it gets you Albert Pujols for just thirty one dollars. Uh, maybe it also gets you Justin Smoke when you don't want him. Um, um, the the perils of um, eating um, onion rings when Carter Caps is <laughs> is proposed nominated focus, for focus is important right for an auction um it, it, this leads us to to a third point i'd like to make uh, if we're looking at um, potential missteps and what we can learn from them uh, i have two words for you and they are grant green would you like to respond to that uh, charge would uh, you like would yeah. you please would you please give give our listeners a sense of uh, the significance of Grant Green to your team oh, and what it means about your failings as a uh, as a as a fantasy owner? You know, yeah, that one's tough. I kept Grant Green for five bucks, and that was just stupid. Um, and I think I think it's very interesting. Uh, I think it is actually very interesting. It's not as it's not as simple as I'm just an idiot. Um, there's a little bit more to it because. Avenue is a dynasty auction, and you want to have uh, prospects uh, on some level. You want to have prospects, and you want to um, use them when they're cheap, and you and you kind of you want to have an idea of where your team is going, and, and, and so on and so forth. So what happened to me was um, I didn't. I thought I had a weakness at middle infield. Uh, so going into the draft, I had Dan Ugla and Jed Lowry, and I wanted at least one more middle infielder. That's why I was happy to get Hanley. Um, but uh, the flip side of that was I was more I was more uh, kind to my middle infield prospect. So um, I kept Nick Franklin at three dollars. I don't think that was as bad of a deal. Uh, I had Billy Hamilton at three dollars as a shortstop. That's not, that doesn't bother me. I had Addison Russell at three dollars. So I had a ton of middle infield prospect talent, um, and I thought that Grant Green fit in. Uh, in terms that early in the offseason, I put into my brain piece that Grant Green was going to be uh, in the running for the starting second-base job, or at least would be one of these Oakland Athletic-type players where he would play at second, he would play at third, he would play in center. And I didn't really recalibrate that when Chris Young showed up, and then um, I'm not exactly sure what the timing was on uh, getting Jed Lowry and the keeper deadline. I think they actually did that after I declared Grant Green a keeper. Um, and if they didn't, then maybe it is as simple as I'm just stupid, because as soon as Jed Lowry showed up, Grant Green was, was most likely going back to the minors. Um, the flip side of that, not only do you need to recalibrate and look at your teams often and sort of be, and, and you know try to be as critical as possible every time you look at them, especially a, a prospect. Another thing with um, Auto New is that 
uh, it's very possible that the ideal number of, I heard Mike Newman say the ideal number of prospects in Avenue is, is 8 to 10. It's very possible that the ideal number of prospects in Avenue is, is 5 um, or less. Because if you think about it, we're, uh, we're still a 12-team league. Yes, we have 40-man rosters, but we're still a 12-team league. So in order to be a starter in a 12-team league, you need to be top 12 at your position, maybe with uh, the other position, you'd be top 20, top, top 18. Uh, you definitely can't be a utility guy. I mean, that's very rarely are those people useful in our league. Um, and so we're looking for we're looking for very top prospects that turn into very top players. Um, and I doubt that prospects that are much lower than 50th on any ranking list um, are super relevant to our league. Um, so if the top 50 are what should be owned, then, you know, there's 12 teams. That means we should probably should own four or five prospects each. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah, 8 to 10 seems like quite a bit. I, although I guess the thing is that, uh, as you note, every auction or draft is its own universe. Every league um, is a related universe, right? And so if you find that the people, that uh, your opponents, your 11 opponents, are valuing prospects for whatever reason, um, then and you feel like you can trade them, then that's another consideration, right? That's true. And also, Mike Newman won the league last year, so he's in the experts league, so he's doing something right. I think it also fits his talents very well because he's a prospect guy and he knows these guys well, so maybe he's picking guys that are ranked 60 or 70 on other people's list, but on his own personal list, they're top 50. Right. And that that marginal value alone um, can can sort of fuel his team. And he did he did trade a bunch of prospects away at the end of the year, uh, some of them to me, <laughs> uh, because I was in the bottom and he and he won the league. Um, I gave him my rep to Justin Upton. But, um, yeah, I think, uh, I mean, if you do own 8 to 10, I think you're going into the season thinking that you're going to sell three or four of them uh, during the season for parts of the end of the year. Right. Um, and uh, I guess one final thing. Um, again, if if the strength of your work is that you're good at mining your own biases and missteps, um, uh, perhaps you can also apply that to other people. Uh, we saw something along those lines uh, in our Auto News Staff League, which is that, uh, which is the the instance of Bradley Woodrum. Um, I don't know uh, what that was, but would you care to uh, elaborate on that uh, for the sake of the listeners as well? Well, what's interesting is that uh, uh, Onion has a DL, so um, you can actually have more than 40 uh, people on your team. And um, I guess Bradley hadn't noticed that. So he cut three players and thought, I'm going to have three three spots to draft in the auction, which also I think is, probably means you're cutting too few players because three is not really enough. I think around 10 is, is, is a good number, uh, depending on how good or bad your team was. Of course, you're going to go up. You know, going beyond a little that, um, but he only he only made three spots open. But what he didn't know is that three of his guys would be on the DL, so he actually only cut down to forty, um, which meant that he had no open spots for the auction, and therefore could not even throw a player at the auction, could not even participate in the auction. And it should it should um, be noted that he had um, he had like two hundred seventy something dollars available. <laughs> yes, he still does. Yeah. Uh, and he's furiously cutting his uh, lesser prospects now and trying to use up the waiver wire and, and burning up the um, burning up the trade offers. But uh, he kept Chun Sui Chen. <laughs> yeah. Maybe not a maybe not a great keep. 
I don't know. Jesse Crane. Yeah. Jesse Crane. Michael Montgomery. Right. Uh, he's got, he now cuts a lot of these. Joe Benson. He still owns um, Matthew Davidson, who's a third base prospect for the uh, for the Diamondbacks, who has a lot of swing and miss, and is not guaranteed a major league career. Even. Uh, right. Um, well, so, yeah. I mean, but at least Davidson. Well, of course, with the with the arrival of Prado, and then of course the presence of Eric Chavez too. I mean, who knows how much experience he'll get this year? Uh, I mean, Davidson. David. Yeah, right. Davidson was at least promising last year. Uh, I mean, he did some. He did some <laughs> things. You know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Um, okay. <laughs> um, so he appropriately named his team a Bradley tragedy. So right. I guess the point there is that uh, is that so so that's the sort of thing, right? That can um, alter your values a little bit, um, and that's why I think like uh, I would I would submit I think you would agree that it's important to be flexible about your values too, because you're like, okay, I'm in a 12 team league. Here are the players that are available. Here's the amount that it makes sense, you know, to bid on them. But now in this case, you have uh, someone who has quite a bit of money, uh, but but they have no power to bid on those players. So, I, right, that removed that removed two hundred dollars out of the or one hundred and thirty dollars out of the auction, and I actually think that's partially why um, I ended up with too much money on on my team. Um, I probably didn't adjust that quick enough. Um, I mean, my too much money is uh, I have like fifteen dollars, and I actually think that that's much. that's a great amount of money to have. I, I you know I don't know. Uh, because well, I'm want trying to... to use it now. I already picked up Scott Sizemore for a little bit more than I would have normally bid on him. I bid four dollars on him just to get him, mm-hmm. um, and that does give you that op- option when you're looking at the waiver wire and there's a player you want. You can actually bid a little bit more than you think you want because you have the money. So that uh, if he ends up just as a rental player, at least you got for for money instead of a, a, a player on your team. Right, and of course players uh, are going to be promoted during during the course of the season, especially pitchers. Pitchers are going to – it's a fact that there are going to be pitchers who have uh, – minor league pitchers who have had, you know, maybe decent um, prospect status to date, but they get – you know, they just put up crazy good numbers in April, May, and June, and they're going to be promoted at some point. You know, that happens. No, yeah, and I'll have the ability to be in on that. But I think, you know, normally I would say that, you know, five bucks is enough because you'll also um, – the flip side of that, you'll also find – uh, uh, what I would call a jabroni on your team uh, that you want to cut that will give you some uh, free agency value. You know, so if you cut a guy and I don't know, you get half of your money back. Right. Um, and so, you know, it's very likely that you'll find someone on your roster that you, you know, why did I get that guy? Or, or he just gets hurt for the year and you just, you know. Like I had Casey Kelly for, I think, like five or six bucks, which seemed okay to me. I mean, I thought he was going to be useful at least at home and and that sort of deal, but um, uh, now he's got Tommy John surgery. Am I going to keep him for eight bucks next year? Probably not. But cutting him now gives me three bucks. If I had kept five bucks at the end of the auction, now I have eight bucks. So um, that's I think you know five to five to seven or eight is, is more is more ideal than fifteen. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, listen, uh, you know, unless um, unless you have anything to add, um, it appears as though you've Fulfilled your obligation to Fangraphs Audio. Well, I I do have something sort of sad to say, uh, which is that I don't know how many more times we're going to do this. Oh no! Why? Uh, What's going on? I I might be starting a uh, video podcast. Oh my uh, goodness! With Mike Bonhorst soon. 
and um, we'll be doing uh, fantasy, uh, I think, two to three times a week. Oh, uh, but it'll be Rotographs, guys? Yeah. Oh, well, that sounds great. That's yeah. less work for me. Sounds awesome. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, maybe I will write something um, fun like my motto piece this week, and you will have me on as a real-life baseball analyst, or maybe we can still do some crossover work. But uh, Yeah. Yeah. You know. Uh, I think we'll make it through. Be, I feel. I mean, this is. It only sounds ideal to me. Um, it'll be a, a little bit fewer Fantasy Fridays, but uh, we'll have Fantasy Fridays um, somewhere else. Yeah. All right. That sounds great. All right, man. Hey, listen. Uh, pleasure to talk to you. You know. I guess go take care of your child. Do you have to do something like that? Yeah, he'll start crying any second. Okay. Sounds great. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, uh, that is uh, Eno Saris. What are you? What are you? Official title? Editor of. Well, I guess BBWA. I like, I, I like you. I like your uh, your thing, destroyer of rotographs. Yeah, a fan, fan. Are you allowed to be the destroyer of rotographs? Can you be a destroyer of a thing that you're the editor of? I guess Hardly. you guys are in a position to do that. Yeah. Thank uh, <laughs> you. Well, that is a pan fangraphs contributor at slash editor. You know, Sarah. So I'm Carson Testuli. This has been Fangraphs Audio. Bye.